In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Betches Media presents... I would like to speak to America's men for one minute. That slacker barista. I start getting full of emotion. Now we're going to build this new bridge here. Can I provide a definition? Mm-hmm. No, I can't. Betches Up Podcast. Like, how are people surviving? Hello, I'm Sammy Sage, and this is the Betches Up Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. Today, we are here with Emily Amick, aka Emily in Your Phone. Welcome, Emily. We're so excited to have you back. So happy to be here. I am thrilled to be speaking to you. I feel like since the last time you were here, you've been skyrocketing. Like everything, you're everywhere. You're on MSNBC. You are doing interviews with senators. Um, congratulations on all your success. So thank you very much. If you aren't following Emily already, you should definitely be checking her out. Her handle, like I said earlier, is at Emily in Your Phone. And your updates are really just, I know where to go if I have any questions. Yeah, you know what? I try to be your one-stop shop for political hot takes. <laughs> and, inf- and just really deep information. So today we are going to talk about Kanye West again. And we are going to do some midterms chatting. And then we're going to call out some voter suppression at the end of the episode. So... First, let's talk about Kanye and Adidas. How are you um, – have you been – what's your kind of process – what's your take on this um, scandal or just really disgusting behavior by him lately? Yeah, I mean, look, Kanye has a long history of doing things that are hate-filled. And uh, he has been ramping that up recently, starting most recently with his White Lives Matter stunt with Candace Owens. Uh, and then now with this unhinged anti-Semitism, just regurgitating thousand-year-old anti-Semitic conspiracies over and over, and then uh, brazenly claiming that Adidas can't get rid of him no matter how anti-Semitic he is, turns out he was wrong. Um, so that's my hot take. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not so hot, honestly. He's as, – as two Jewish women, I'm surprised that you find his anti-Semitism abhorrent. So on your account, I feel like the one of the things that I've really come to associate with with what you talk about is this concept of public square and how the public square and public conversation really does matter. And it sort of sets the window of what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, what are we okay talking about. And I think that this I, I one of my first reactions when I woke up first thing this morning and Avi told me that, hey, Adidas finally dropped Kanye West. Literally, that was the first thing I heard this morning. Um, my first thought was like, wow, this was a they yielded to public pressure. They did not want to, they probably did not want to do this. I read that they're absorbing a $250 million loss, you know, and yet they find themselves doing it. So can you talk a little bit about just the concept of the public square and why it is so effective in situations like this. 
Yeah, you know, I I think that there's this fallacy that things that you post on social media are meaningless. And this is a great example of how that's just not true, right? The the public square is the idea of like the town square and ye olden times when everyone would go, you would hang out, you would have conversations, you would essentially engage in conversation to develop the narratives about your community, to determine your values, to determine what policies you want to use to, you know, figure out how the milk gets distributed or whatever. Um, and, and now we have the most effective public square ever in human history, which is social media. And it's a place where we can all have conversations about what our values are and we can drive public actions. And I think, you know, the Adidas dropping Kanye is just a portion of this story, right? And I think that we do have a tendency to focus on these economic repercussions for people. I mean, in general, right? Like people, people love consequences. Um, and we love reality shows when people get kicked off the island, right? Like we, we just love it. But this is, this is part of a broader conversation. What I've really, um, found meaningful is the public square conversations that I've seen on social media are really spreading awareness about the issue of anti-Semitism and how Things like Kanye was saying about this conspiracy about how Jews run the world, right? That isn't just a funny statement. That is a deeply anti-Semitic thought that is part of the driving force behind, you know, the Holocaust, right? Like, this is not just some meaningless dribble. Um, it is meaningful. And when we saw the, um, there's this anti-Semitic group that's been active for a long time, but they took Kanye's statement and they used it as confirmation of things they already believed. And they posted those signs on the LA freeway and they said, honk if you agree. And apparently people honked. And, you know, the, the meaning of that itself was a public square action, right? It was a way for people to understand that they weren't alone in their anti-Semitic beliefs. They would hear other people honking and they would realize, oh, there's other people who agree with me. And then they would feel more secure in their anti-Semitic beliefs. And the opposite has happened on social media with all of these people saying, you know, I stand with the Jewish people. I condemn anti-Semitism, right? Like, there's certainly been um, accusations that this is performative, that people are not really understanding that some of the other things that they have said or opinions that they have held are inherently anti-Semitic. But I don't think that takes away from the importance of this work and the reality that things that people say on social media and the coalescence of public opinion drives decision-making for corporations and for politicians. And this is an example of a corporation, but we've seen it sort of more broadly, for example, with student loan forgiveness, right? Which was a public square conversation that resulted in an executive order. Um, so I, I think that they are incredibly meaningful. And I hope people take sort of this idea to heart that they can make a difference simply by tweeting. Yeah, I mean, I was someone who was sort of like, about the you know the black square but now that i see people reposting i stand with the jews i'm like weirdly comforted i'm like okay well will you hide me um if you need to just just wondering and i think it's like i i see i really do see your point like i think there is sort of a you know from, there is sort of a little knock on though you know reposting or like changing your profile and that that kind of thing but you know now that 
you know, I'm seeing people honking on the freeway, it actually is quite comforting. If you're unfamiliar with how this played out with Adidas, this is kind of this is how long it took them to finally respond. So they finally they finally ended their partnership this morning, but this is now weeks after he started making anti-Semitic remarks. The company began their formal review on October 6th, and today is October 25th. So it took them almost 20 days to decide that these um, comments were not okay. And really only after this kind of incredible swell of conversation and people calling on Adidas to drop them. So they said in a statement this morning, after a thorough review, the company has taken the decision to terminate the partnership with Ye immediately, end the production of Yeezy branded products, and stop all payments to Ye and his companies. Adidas will stop the Adidas Yeezy business with immediate effect. This is nine days after, like you mentioned, he had said in an interview that he can say anti-Semitic things and Adidas will not drop him. Now what? Um, And after we recorded yesterday, just to add fuel to this fire, uh, his talent agency, CAA, dropped him. And um, his ex-wife posted a lukewarm statement saying that she stands with Jewish people. And um, I don't know. What do you think? Do you think that this – what do you think – is said within the lag of time that it takes for people to, or companies to really come out and fully denounce this. I think that companies have a fiduciary obligation to their stakeholders, which complicates things. And I'm sure there were a lot of lawyers working over time to try to figure out how to get out of their contracts with Kanye. So as a lawyer, I think I probably have slightly more sympathy for the lag time than other people because, uh, you know, they're going to have to do so in a way that they can, that can hold up in some form of litigation over those contracts. But, I, you know, I think that it probably would have been better for them to come out. It, frankly, they couldn't have won, right? Like if they came out early and they said, we condemn him for these comments, people would have said words are meaningless unless there's action. So they chose the wait until we act route. Um, it, At this point, frankly, I'm happy to see action on this. And I think that they're probably going to face consequences from the right. We've seen, especially with Ron DeSantis, this increasing action on the right against corporations that take what they call like woke stances. Uh, So the right has claimed Kanye. We saw House GOP Judiciary Committee, I think, still has that tweet standing. That's like Kanye, Elon, Trump. Uh, so they have, they love it. They say this is a free speech issue, uh, which, you know, you don't have a second amendment right against the public. <laughs> uh, that's about the government, <laughs> uh, not about people being like, no, you're saying dangerous things that's going to end up resulting in people being injured and hurt and anti-Semitic actions being taken on the ground. And you need to be, uh, deplatformed. So I think that frankly, the groundswell of support for the Jewish people and the groundswell of arguments against anti-Semitism has been more meaningful to me than this Adidas statement. You know, Kanye already has billion. He already has enough money, right? Like losing this money is not going to impact him financially. We, he's not going to, this isn't a real punishment. Um, the deplatforming is the real punishment to me. Oh, of course. I mean, I, to me, this has like nothing to do with money. Okay, well, in my experience, any, you know, even like very basic like influencer partnerships will sometimes have morality clauses where it's like if you do something, like if you do something unsavory, they can just kind of say if you get arrested, 
you know, they can just say, we're not working with you anymore and we have a way out of this contract. Even if that's the case, right, I expect Kanye will still litigate it. Um, Candace Owens is already posting about how, like, you can't do this to Kanye. You can't you can't push him into poverty, which is ludicrous. Um, and that, you know, we're going to fight back. So I imagine... He just bought her husband's company or agreed to buy it. He agreed to buy it. Now, is he pulling in Elon and was it all BS? And is he actually not going to buy it? I, that's a question mark I have. I mean, none of it, none of what they say means anything to any of these people. That is, that's what the House Judiciary, House, G, the GOP Judiciary tweet really means. Like, these are three scam artists whose words mean nothing. Like, whether they say they'll buy a company, whether they will run the company, like, even Elon, his idea of running Twitter means firing 75% of it. Like, these people don't have actual, like, their words are not necessarily meaningful. Right. I think that to a significant degree, Make America Great Again is about let's go back to a time when white men can say whatever they want and face no consequences and do whatever they want. Right. Like they can grab women's butts at work. They can make sexist jokes at work. They can they can take everyone's jobs. They can fire women. They can do anything. They can fire black people. Right. And that's what that's what they're seeking with this idea. And I think what Kanye and Elon and Trump show is are, are examples of people who get away with saying whatever they want, and they get away with saying offensive things. And that's what makes the House GOP idolize them. Right. That's what they perceive as masculine and sort of like the alpha, which is another huge element of the way that they sort of conduct the culture war around like this alpha male. And I mean, even their, you know, actions with the Supreme Court trying to get rid of same-sex marriage, getting rid of reproductive rights, all of that also goes to this like old patriarchal idea of the man, you know, the man in charge, the women in the home with no rights. I mean, it all sort of like dovetails kind of beautifully. Also with the very old anti-Semitism as well. Right. This is all about reclaiming Christian, cishet, white supremacy, right? And making sure that heterosexual white men get to achieve their position at the top of society and go unquestioned and have support in the home. I mean, who wouldn't love to have someone who cooks and cleans for you and doesn't talk back? It's a full-time job. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, you know, and, and when you take a step back and look at all these conversations, it's, it's incredibly vacant, right? Like, what a pathetic human being you have to be, where you think the only way you have a role in a society is ev if everyone else is silenced. If everyone else is, you need the law to turn everyone into a secondary citizen so that you can be on top. I just think it's, how are they not embarrassed by themselves? I find the whole thing just so humiliating for them. I agree. But if you're you're thinking about that from like a present day secular standpoint, that's why they sort of need religion to justify it as like this godly world order so that they don't have to be embarrassed. But to just bring it back to the whole idea of the alpha male, if you have to say it about yourself, it ain't so. And that's where like Kanye, Elon, and Trump and Trump mistake what is alpha for this like selfish idolatry where they're at the top and no one else matters 
for what it really means, which is like a generous and, you know, benevolent leader who takes care of people and they earn people's respect. Like an Obama. Like an Obama. You know, a rising tide lifts all boats. And this idea of public service and servant leadership seems to be lost on these guys who prefer to engage in the theater of masculinity. Um, and one of my favorite, like, Mimi tweets that's going around is uh, someone saying, like, when I hear people talk about alpha males, I just think about alpha being, like, the first iteration of a computer program. And that these are just like the first one and we've improved on them and we need to move on. Looping back to the beginning of this conversation, right? I think that a lot of people when Kanye was saying, you know, white lives matter and slavery was a choice and all of these other things sort of blew it off as not meaningful. But the reality is this, this man has more Instagram followers than there are Jews in the entire world. Um, he, you know, people assign meaning to these men. They have followers. They have people who idolize and emulate them. And that goes on top of the fact that by saying things like this, they're normalizing them. Um, and they're saying, uh, right, like that's a big thing that Trump has done, which is being like, now you can say the things you've always thought out loud. Um, you can be racist publicly now because I've done it and shown you that you can get away with it. Um, but you know, Kanye's, public impact is so profound that it requires, right? Like, I, I feel like we have a, an obligation to respond accordingly in that deplatforming for people like him and holding people, you know, asking for accountability for people like Kim is, is meaningful and required. And it's totally, totally different than if you're talking about just some like Joe Schmo on the street who's saying terrible things, right? Where there's not they don't hold these grand positions of influence in our society. And that's why we need the public square. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China. 
and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Now that we have explained the entire culture, Emily, um, the midterms are two weeks away. Tonight, Dr. Oz will debate John Fetterman in their long-awaited debate as they both vie to become the next senator from Pennsylvania. There were a lot of questions of will they, won't they in this particular race. What are you thinking? What what expectations do you have for this debate? You know, I think John Fetterman is so good at connecting with people. And he's so good at taking big policy issues and articulating them in a meaningful way, how they will affect individuals. And Dr. Oz is just phenomenally out of touch. Like many rich people, he has no clue how like normal people function in humanity. And he he also is from New Jersey. And, you know, he doesn't even understand Pennsylvanians. I don't understand Pennsylvanians. I'm not from there. They have like a whole vibe going on in Pennsylvania. Totally. And uh, they are, there are some states where you can't come in from out of state and run. They, and I certainly hope the people of Pennsylvania will see Dr. Oz for what he is, which is just a charlatan. Um, you know, there's been a lot of conversations in Ajita on the left about Fetterman's, uh, the impact of his stroke. And in particular, his, uh, you know, he, he pauses in his sentences I, I've heard him, you know, we saw that interview, we've heard him speak. He, I think he's perfectly, it's perfectly fine. And he's perfectly able to communicate in this ableist idea that you can't be able to, you know, you can't use closed captioning or or whatever, uh, because that reflects poorly on your ability to, you know, think is, is ludicrous. And I, I have to believe that the people of Pennsylvania will not will not hold those views and we'll see him for for what he is which is someone recovering from a stroke you know most people go through life they experience some health hardship it's it it would be pretty miraculous if you get through life without having you or someone you love having a you know really um traumatic health experience so i think we can all understand that and understand that the fact that he is you know it it has frankly made him i think a more sympathetic figure. He is more empathetic to the experiences of people, especially given that healthcare is such a national issue. Um, I think it makes him an even better candidate. I agree. He sort of has that Biden vibe where it's like the things that the fake alphas want to turn into uh, weaknesses, they are able to actually um, embody a strengths because they are embodying that idea of like the public servant, public servant over like, look at me, I'm going to like use this office to get myself money and tax cuts and all this stuff. I mean, I think, yeah, Oz is, I completely agree with you. The idea, you know, the idea that he can't use closed captioning while recovering from a stroke, or even if he weren't recovering from a stroke is just ridiculous. Ridiculous. It's like telling someone they can't use a calculator to do their taxes to me. Like, it's just you, if someone has a need for something at a particular time, or if someone's recovering from a broken leg and they can't use crutches, like, it's just, it seems like such a stupid issue that it has been blown up. And this is one of those things where I'm like, I wish we could like 
minimize this type of conversation as we have it, of course. People, I think, want to hear about it. And I will say one other thing that people probably don't want to hear about is the optics of this debate. John Fetterman is so tall. And because we are an inherently patriarchal society and we all have deeply internalized misogyny, we love tall people and uh, especially tall men. I would, I should say tall men. We love tall men. Yes. And so I think that that's going to be great. And I look forward to the photos. You know, I was one of the first things as we were thinking about, I'm like, yeah, as we were just starting this conversation is like, yeah, usually the tall person wins. Um, that is statistically true. Yes. Yeah. yeah. See, these are the things that I, <laughs> things I consider. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Speaking of statistics, early voting is up in swing states across the country. But a particular segment of voters may be waiting to cast their ballots. According to the Associated Press, Republican activists who believe that the 2020 election was stolen from Donald Trump decided that they can thwart the election fraud by waiting until election day to vote, which famously I feel like didn't work last time. Anyway, they are they are telling each other on their little platforms to hold on to their absentee ballots until election day. Trump and Mike Lindell have both endorsed this suggestion because they think the Democrats will somehow be able to find out how many Republicans are voting early and will be so intimidated by that number that they will intervene to try to, to steal the election. You're, they're just telling us what they would do because this is just such a ridiculous plan. Because in fact, waiting to submit your ballot means that it will actually take longer to process after election day and give bad actors an even longer window to meddle until the final count. Ultimately, this seems like a big stunt, but how are you looking at these early voting numbers? And do you think, do you have a sense of any sort of prediction? And do you, when do you think we will know who actually won? Uh, I have absolutely no sense uh, in, in general and particularly with regards to this. I think that early voting numbers are heartening. I'm excited that people are getting out to vote. Um, I, I think that this effort to quash early voting is just another sort of quill quill in their quiver um uh, of of anti-democratic efforts that they want to end absentee voting overall because they don't want people to vote and they think that they can win when less people are able to vote uh and that's going to mean the lines are longer for election day and it's going to be harder for everyone to have their vote counted um I imagine it's going to be a couple days until we learn these lessons. But, you know, we could also have waves either way. I truly, in this cycle, have absolutely no idea what is going to happen in pretty much all of the races. And um, that is not a good thing. And we will, Democrats will win by getting out the vote. That is the way we will win this election. I completely agree. I mean, I think that it just bears out when more people, when more people are voting, that gives Democrats an edge. I think that that is has also statistically borne out, 
And um, one thing that has started to concern me, though, are these stories that I'm seeing about voter intimidation in, um, you know, in Arizona. Apparently, so there are two two stories that were very concerning. One was um, in Arizona in person. And the other were um, these robocalls that was going to voters in Detroit and just generally like tend they uh, areas that tend to vote blue and have a large majority of black voters. So this weekend in Arizona, Arizona officials said that two armed individuals dressed in tactical gear have been loitering outside drop boxes to intimidate voters. They're wearing masks and holding guns. And there are also reports of people stopping to take videos of people using drop boxes. So... I mean, the sheriff has responded by saying he's stepping up security in these areas and that he's giving resources to make sure people are able to cast a vote safely. But what do you think is like motivating people to go out and like do this vigilante shit, if you will, to quote Taylor? (laughs) And then what do you think? Do you think this is actually going to um, convince people not to vote? You know, so the individual actors who are doing this, for all we know, might genuinely believe that they are, like, holding the ground against the evil people who are trying, the evil woke libs who are trying to steal elections. Uh, I don't know what they think is going to physically happen at the ballot box. Presumably, they think that, like, someone's going to drop 100 ballots or something and they're going to catch him. Uh, Why you would need a gun in this scenario is not clear to me. But, they have guns, like, on their lawn for decorations. Right, yeah. So, you know. You know, uh, the people who are instigating all of this most certainly know what they're doing is voter intimidation, right? And this is part of this broader Dinesh D'Souza massive conspiracy that's total disinformation about election fraud. And it's part of the big lie. And it's a whole thing. And, right, uh, what MAGA has done is essentially like a rubber glue <laughs> methodology of accusing Democrats of election fraud while themselves engaging in it. Um, So which makes it very hard, right? Like I've seen already on conservative media, a lot of people fixating on Stacey Abrams or Hillary Clinton saying that there was election fraud. And it's, it's a very complicated narrative for people who don't pay attention to understand. And it's frankly, for people who are who have a confirmation bias to believe that Democrats are engaged in this, they are willing to do it. Uh, you know, there is an objective reality that we all share and facts are facts. Um, but it is unfortunate that the situation has come to this. And I'm not sure I trust Arizona sheriffs to be the arbiters of uh, fairness. But, you know, there's a very important secretary of state election and everyone in Arizona needs to uh, get out the vote. Right. Can you just kind of speak to like which positions on the ballot are the most important in terms of what role they'll play in the 2024 election? Right. So the secretaries of state are the ones who run elections. And when you're talking about who is going to ensure that democracy functions the way it should and people actually are able to vote, that's what those people are going to do. And in many states, the state legislatures are going to play an increasingly important role. The Supreme Court will be deciding on independent state legislature theory, which if the Supreme Court decides in favor of... um the Republican states will allow legislatures to make decisions about how to assign their presidential election electors. 
So it will allow state legislatures to choose who becomes president, in particular states like Pennsylvania, for example, uh, we should be very concerned about how that Republican legislature would vote. So we're thinking about your state assembly, your state house, your uh, state senate, whatever it's called in your state. Those positions are extremely important. And then, of course, the United States Senate, right? That we saw in 2020, the actions of Congress and how many people voted not to confirm Joe Biden as the president of the United States in Congress. And that should be that should be concerning, right? And um, we have not had the electoral reform bill that people have been talking about that has not passed. So we are still in the same situation we were in in 2020, where people could try to steal the election. So I think an incredible amount is on the line in these midterms. And it's it's sort of hard to ring that bell loudly because people don't pay attention to midterms. But we are setting ourselves up for 2024 with this midterm election. Right. And I mean, it's it's honestly hard to underscore how many I mean, there's 300 there's over 300 election deniers running even on January 6, 2021, almost 150 people and members of Congress voted against certifying Joe Biden's election. So it is like definitely we're on an exponential curve of election denial. And when you think like historically, this idea of state legislatures being the ones to decide who will win the election, that really is how they used to, I think, elect senators. Am I wrong? And it's and it really shows that they are desperate for this consolidation of power into this like more white male elite group. And that they're trying to take us back not to like 1960, but like 1860. Yeah. And I've I've seen conservative influencers tweet about how they genuinely believe that, uh, you know, white men should be the only ones deciding who becomes president, right? Like there are people who genuinely believe this. Uh, you know, we should go back to white male landowners only having the right to vote. So it's, it's a concerning problem. And the reality is rather institutionally, right? The Republican party isn't pursuing that goal, but what they're pursuing is, uh, really tamping down the vote and making it hard for people, especially people of color to be able to exercise their right to vote. And that's what we're seeing, uh, across the country, in places like Georgia, Arizona, et cetera. Definitely. Well, everyone, if you hear that, get out to vote and tell all your friends that the stakes are much higher than the price of gas, although that is important, I know. Um, Anyway, that is our show. Please remember to rate and review if you are enjoying it. It really helps us a lot. If you aren't following Emily already, you should definitely be checking her out. Her handle, like I said earlier, is at Emily in your phone. And until the end of democracy, I'm Sammy Sage, and this is the Betcha Sub Podcast. The Betcha Sub Podcast is produced by Amanda Duerman, Sean Kilby, Jorge Morales Pico, and Rebecca Sousmacat. Editing by Rebecca Sousmacat. Social media by Amanda Duberman and Bridget Swartz. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore SUP on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails at SUPPod at Betches.com. Betches.